Okay, y'all, so today we start a, uh, a new series, Bible Basics. So why should you care? I mean, why should you care about Bible Basics? Uh, Mark gave a powerful reason just to care from history, like history. It's, I love history. I love all kinds of history, but it's almost like, oh my word, yes. I know every generation has to rediscover things. That's a given. You know, it's like I know each generation always looks at the next generation and goes, oh, my word. But it's not like everyone has to learn 2 plus 2. Everyone has to go through and own it for themselves. So when you look at history, you can see incredible patterns, right, that you can learn from. And so Mark gave a powerful one. He said, basically, when the culture and politics drive our thinking, We are confused, angry, and scared. But we're not called to be swayed by the ideas of the day, end quote. That's what he sent out to all the leaders of the church. Now, we could also say it this way. Why care about Bible basics? When the culture and politics drives our thinking, we're all alone in the dark. British scientists performed recently one of the most controversial experiments ever done on the human mind. Have you heard about this? They wanted to see, quote, what happens when you put a human being in absolute darkness? (laughs) When a human being can't even see the hand in front of his face? What happens when you can't hear anything but your own heartbeat? What happens, quote, in total sensory deprivation? So six volunteers were put into what's called an isolation chamber for 48 hours. And you ask, well, why did they pick 48 hours? Because this was done in the 1950s and nobody could go beyond 48 hours. You had to abandon it after 48 hours. Just no one could go to 49 or 50. FYI, there are some similar experiments going on right now. They're called the Mars 500 experiment or project. It's to prepare astronauts to go to Mars. So you can sign up if you'd like. So who was leading this isolation chamber experiment? A guy by the name of Professor Stephen Roberts. Well, who is Professor Stephen Roberts? Well, he's just Britain's leading expert in psychological torture. Okay, so what was learned from this isolation chamber experiment? What's the science of being isolated? What does being isolated, totally deprived of all sensory abilities whatsoever, what does it do to a human being? What does it do to you? Well, the first empirical evidence was this. Every test subject immediately experiences anxiety. Every one of them immediately. Every one of them immediately. They try to sing bravely. Everyone tries to tell jokes. You start seeing how people start reciting comforting things to them from way back in childhood. But nothing stops the immediate onset, onslaught of anxiety. And then when they were asked, well, what, was every, what were you anxious about? And it was anything and everything because fear multiplies in multiple multi-forms exponentially in that case. Empirical evidence number two, rising paranoia comes next. One volunteer said, without light, it was impossible to stimulate myself, and my brain felt as if it was going to sleep. I was left to myself. 
I was left to the most absurd, strange, irrational stuff. Empirical evidence number three. Real trouble, though, began at the 30-hour mark. It started with pacing. So at about 30, 30 hours, people in total, complete sensory deprivation, can't see, just started pacing. And you remember that leading professor of Britain's psychological torture? He said it this way. He said, this behavior is often seen in animals as well as people when they are kept in confinement. It's a way of providing input. It's a way to try to put meaning into your life. That's why those tigers pace back and forth. Now I want to go over there and let them out. Empirical evidence number four. After pacing came losing your mind hallucinations. A participant explains, I felt nothing but numbness, as though I was losing the will to live. I realized that the lack of stimulation was driving me close to insanity. I was losing my mind. Many today, inside and outside the church, report feelings of isolation. I'm pacing. I'm trying to input meaning into my life. I'm numb. I feel so disconnected from God, so disconnected from meaningful relationships, so disconnected from my work, so disconnected from church, so disconnected from myself, so disconnected from the culture, school, I'm just disconnected. Many today report living in an isolation chamber. So why care about Bible basics? Because here's what Bible basics does. Bible basics breaks into the isolation chamber. Bible Basics comes up to the bolted doors of the isolation chamber and busts them open. And light rushes in. Meaning and life rush in. Wide open spaces rush in. Have you ever wondered why that phrase is said over and over in the Psalms? It says over and over, I take you from the valleys and the cresses, the confinement and the tight places, and I put you in wide open places. Bible basics descends into the deepest darkness of the isolation chamber to deliver you from yourself. That's why I care. So, do you want to leave the isolation chamber? Just hang out here for the next, I don't know, six, eight, ten weeks. Because our goal for the next six, eight, ten weeks is to see an extraordinary personal active presence break into your isolation chamber.
wide open places. Please stand for the hearing of God's word. Okay, so I have a string of verses. Don't try to like put some, what's the order? What was he thinking? Don't, don't, don't even try. I'm just going to read them. They're all on Bible basics. I, de- I decided to take what were some of the prominent people in the Bible and what did they say about Bible basics. So I thought we'd start at the beginning because the beginning is a good place to start. About, so what does the beginning, what does the beginning say about Bible basics? This is what the beginning says. Heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And light said, let me think about it. What does King David say about Bible basics? That's why we're going to the Psalms. I think. Yes. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes back and forth with flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. Okay, so what does the Apostle John say about Bible basics? Well, in the beginning, sound familiar, was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. Okay, Paul. Apostle Paul, what do you say about Bible basics? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Since Paul's my favorite, he gets to say two things about Bible basics, so I will go to 2 Timothy. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, we got to get Peter in there because he gets such a bad rap, and I want to help him a little bit. What does he say about Bible basics? In 2 Peter, he says this, For we do not follow cleverly designed myths when we made known to you the power of the coming of the Lord Jesus. In other words, we're trying to tell you about Jesus, but we didn't didn't go to trickery. We didn't go to fancy things. We didn't go to anxious benches, and we didn't get this really cool music that make you feel a certain way so your will is triggered. He doesn't say that, but I say that. That we're witnesses of his majesty. For when we received Honor and glory from God, when he did, the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. So remember when God spoke with the other three disciples, on, it's called the Mount of Transfiguration, you might have remembered that Bible story. God said, the voice said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Pleased. Peter says, we ourselves heard this very voice from heaven, for we were with him on that holy mountain. Now watch what he says next. Can you imagine? There's only three people that were experienced that ever. But this is what he says about that moment and what he says about you right now. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. What? To which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, That no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. 
For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. That men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And then finally, what does Jesus say about Bible basics? Jesus says, you heard Mark say it earlier. You search the scriptures because you think that in me you have eternal life. But it is they that bear witness about me. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. O Lord, fill us with your spirit in the same way, Lord, that you hovered over the chaotic darkness of the ultimate isolation chamber. Would you hover over us now and would you create new things for us experientially, functionally, because Jesus, you accomplished them. And it's in your name we pray, amen. Okay, so we're going to begin Bible basics with controversy. Of course, um, there is a controversy in Bible basics. So I don't want you to be troubled, though. Don't be troubled, be brave. Because controversy, just like we saw how the Westminster Confession of Faith came out of controversy, all the creeds and confessions and major affirmations of who Jesus is and the scriptures and the Trinity all came out of controversy. And so we're in a controversial age right now inside the church, in our culture. Don't be troubled by controversy. Be brave in controversy. Because controversy is an opportunity for truth to become clear to your mind. And for doctrine to become drama in your heart. You don't ask things about things until the waters get stirred. And now you start pushing into it. Some of you freak out when the waters get stirred in your heart, in your mind about God. And you might be a Christian for six months to 60 years. I say, don't be troubled. Be brave. God is actually taking you someplace with him you've never been before. And that's a moment of sheer expectation. So be brave. All right, so what is the controversy? Here it is. Where do you start with Bible basics? Where do you start with capital T truth? Where do you start with theology? Where do you start with doctrines? Where do you start with reality? Do you start with God or do you start with the Bible? Where do you start? So you got Camp One, which is made up of theologians and Bible teachers and critics and churches and pastors, uh, theological stripes of all colors and shapes and sizes. Camp One says you start with God. You start with God. Start with God. Because if you don't start with God, the Bible becomes an idol in your life. It's called bibliolatry. It's a cute little name that some people have made up. What happens is you start worshiping the Bible and not God. And what happens is is you weaponize the Bible. You weaponize it for your personal preferences, you know, everything from, I don't know, like high church, low church, weird church. Everything from, you know, I like music from the 1500s, I like classical music, and I like modern music. I mean, 
preferences to color. I mean, it's, it's no joke that church is split over deciding the carpet colors. Everybody has preferences. But we also weaponize the Bible, according to this camp, for pushing our moral, cultural, political agendas. That doesn't happen too often. And so what would be some of those that are circling today? Just ask yourself, why are those agendas being pushed? Gender agendas, same-sex attraction agendas, social justice theory agendas, political power agendas, institutions, it just goes on. So Camp One says, start with God. Don't start with the Bible, because even the Bible starts with God. Remember Genesis 1? In the beginning, what? God. Where do we start in Bible basics? With God or the Bible? Well, Camp 2 says, the Bible. Start with the Bible. Because if you start with God, what God are we talking about? Are we talking about the God of tradition? The God of a church? Okay. Which church? Which denomination? Which theological stripe? Which time period in church history? The God of special anointed individuals? Okay. Well, which individuals? The one that looks like, I don't know, Brad Pitt? Or the one that looks like, I'm, I'm not going to say anymore after that. Let's just keep going. The God of religion. Which religion? The God of our own personal preferences. The God of our own feelings and our thoughts and our life experiences. My thoughts, my Feelings, my life experiences, or your thoughts and your feelings and your life experiences? Is it the God of the academy, the God of higher education, the God of an ideology, the God of the, the, God of the government? What is it? Which God, right? So Camp 2 says, start with the Bible. Even God starts with the Bible. Remember Genesis? And God said what? And God said, let there be light. That's how everything began. So do you start with God or do you start with the Bible? Do you see the controversy? Okay, watch what King David does. In Psalm 29, if you have your electronic devices or your text, look at this. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. Okay, in other words, God's words are over the waters. God's speaking is over the waters. We could say the Bible is over the waters. Got it? The God of glory thunders. Well, wait a minute. I thought we were just talking about God's words, God's voice, God's speaking. Now we're talking about God. And then it says... The Lord over many waters. Wait a minute. Which one is it? Is it the voice of the Lord over the waters or is it the Lord over the waters? Psalm 29, verse 7, it goes down. It says, the voice of the Lord flashes back and forth with flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. And then it says, the Lord shakes the wilderness. Which one is it? The voice of the Lord shaking the wilderness or the Lord shaking the wilderness? Do you start with God or do you start with God's words? The answer is what? Yes. The answer is both. 
There's no false choice. God and his words go together. God and his words are inseparable. God and his words are united. Do you see how breathtaking this is? God goes wherever his words go. Wherever God's words go, God goes. This so, this Mack truck ran over Luther so fast, so hard, he got up and he goes, I, I can't believe this. I've got to translate this. I've got to publish this. He said he knew, he knew that as long as God's words were in the world and in a home and in a life and in a marriage, God was there. How do you know where God is? Where are his words? Where is God at work in a life and where is God at work in a home and where is God at work in a church? Where are his words? God goes wherever his words go. Wherever his words go, God goes. Some of you are desperately hunting for God and you're going everywhere but to his words. You know, we've said this before. Those of you who've been here before, you know, you can take a time out. But if God said, listen, I'm going to meet you at the corner of 1st Street and 2nd Street. Many of us inside the church today, and certainly most of us outside the church today, are going to Jupiter and Elm and tapping our foot and saying, where are you? I demand that you show up here in my personal experiences. In this spiritual technique, in this biblical principle, God says, I show up at 1st Street and 2nd Street. I show up in my words. John simply explains the mystery of God in his word this way. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So Bible basics starts with God and his word. That's where we're starting. We're starting with God and his word together. God and his word on the move together. So where God's going, his word's going. Where his word's going, God's going. How do we know he's going? Because his words are there. Well, I, want, I need to see more signs and wonders. No, you have the signs and wonders. Luther says the sign and wonder of, of the most amazing, captivating Capturing reality is that we have his words. So what about my marriage? Take your words there. Well, what about my children? Take the words there. What about what I'm struck? Take the words there. So this changes everything, doesn't it? I mean, this is unbelievable. This is like, this is like another reformation if we discover this. So let this sink in. The Bible, what is the Bible? The Bible is where God shows up. 
Wait, wait, wait. What's the Bible? Where God shows up. Where God shows up. What is the Bible? Where God shows up. What is the Bible where God shows up? Some of you are bored with the Bible and you're bored with church and you're bored with worship and you're bored with community groups and you're bored with prayer and you're bored with Theology 101 classes and you're bored with Bible studies and Theology After Dark and you're bored with getting into the mess of people's lives. And what's the mission of the church anyway? The Bible is where God shows up. Fasten your seatbelt. Put on your crash helmet. So it would make sense that the Bible is not everything in the church. Why would you go to church? I'm not going to sit and listen to a bunch of people talk about all their issues if the Bible's not present. I mean, prayer would be the most, who am I talking to? What are we doing if the words aren't present? We're trying to have friendships and community without the words being present. Well, we have a mission. We want to change people's lives, and we want to get after things without the words being present. I say, that is boring. I'd rather watch the Super Bowl, which I will do, and love every minute of it with an adult beverage called Shinerbach. Some of you are hurting. Some of you are suffering. Some of you are in pain. Some of you are troubled. Some of you are absolutely desperate right now. Some of you are absolutely despairing right now. Some of you are out of control right now. The Bible is where God shows up. Fasten your seatbelt. Put on your crash helmet. Some of you are struggling with God. You struggle with the Bible. You're struggling with Christianity. You're struggling in your marriage. You're struggling with your children. You're struggling with yourself. You're struggling with mental illness. You're struggling with sin. You're struggling with guilt. You're struggling with shame. You're struggling with being single. You're struggling with being married. You're struggling with not having children. The Bible is where God shows up. Okay, so we just need to do a little timeout. Let's catch our breath. I know, I need to put little eyes in the middle of the hurricane that hits us every Sunday. I, I plan on that. So some of you are like, well, why do you say things like that? Because I'm trying to give you an intentional breather. So let's take a little breather right now. Let's catch our breath. I want to help you sound really smart. That's one of my goals this morning, too. And I want to help you impress yourself, or actually impress your friend. Impressing yourself is pretty easy. Down through the ages of church history, Bible teachers, pastors, theologians, and critics, and churches and creeds and councils and confessions have developed doctrines. What are doctrines? They develop big ideas, sticky statements, propositional powers to try to communicate and interpret and grasp and, and capture some sort of meaning of reality, like there's reality, and let's describe it, theology. There's the reality of God, let's describe God, theology. 
doctrines. That's how this stuff comes about. Um, I want to give you some of the doctrines that circle and surround the Bible. Again, just so you can impress your friends, just so you can sound really smart. Here's one of them. The doctrine is biblical inspiration. Do you know what that means? This is Now remember, the Bible is God showing up. So we're trying to describe, how do you describe God showing up in the Bible? What is that? Well, one of the ways that the church has done this, one of the ways that theologians have done this, pastors, they've used words like, so I just want you to hear them. If you're kids and you go on, you're going to hear these sometime. At least we don't want kids growing up, going other places, and they talk about inspiration, and our kids say, what's that? Right? We want you to know that. What is biblical inspiration? It means that God inspired the words, his words. God breathed his words. God authored his words. His words are 100% God words, divine words, okay? Now, if you were in class, you might have heard this last week. I didn't know because I was gone. I was down in Houston. But you might have heard two other words. There are other two big ideas called inerrancy and infallibility. Well, why do those words need to be said? Because it's God's inspiring, right? He's inspiring his words, but he's doing it through the instrumentality of human words. So God's the author of the Bible, but he's actually authoring the Bible through the instrumentality of human authors. So God is breathing his words, but he's breathing it through the instrumentality of human words. So it's 100% divine words and 100% human words, but some of us are going to get stuck on the human word part. Because we're wandering. Because we know ourselves, we know other people, and we're like, that sounds sketchy. And so theologians have come up with things like inerrancy, without error. Infallibility, without flaw. In other words, the Bible is perfect. Of course it is. It's without flaw. It's without error. It's perfect because it's 100% God's words, because it's God-inspired it's because God authored it, God breathed it. I mean, come on, if God or Moses or Paul got demons, dogs, and Uncle Dave all mixed up, that would be pretty weird. I mean, what would happen if Galatians said, you know, you're, you're justified by faith, you're justified by the work of another, you're justified by the performance of another, you're justified by the doing, dying, and rising of another. But Judges comes in and says, no, you're justified by your works. You're justified by your performance, not his performance. You're justified by your being and doing, not his being and doing. You're acceptable and loved, and you're a worthwhile human being because of what you make of yourself, not what he has done for you and who he is. You've got to get your own medals. You don't get his. What if that happened in the Bible? Well, that would be awkward. That would be a flaw. That would be an error. There are two more important Bible doctrines if you were in this Theology 101 class. I know you heard them last week called authority and sufficiency. So if the Bible is where God shows up, <laughs> If the Bible is where God shows up, it has his authority. You know what that means? 
It has his power. It has his divine energies and his divine life. And it's sufficient. It's sufficient for all your sin. It's sufficient for all the multi-forms of your shame. It's sufficient for all the contours and contexts of your guilt. It's sufficient for all the multi-forms of wreckage in our lives. It's sufficient for you and it's sufficient for you. It's, there's no one out there it's not sufficient for. It's sufficient for the lonely person. It's sufficient for the trapped person. It's sufficient for this race and it's sufficient for that race. It's sufficient for urban people and it's sufficient for cowboys and cowgirls and rural people. It's sufficient for every relationship and every home and every church and every school and every community and every city and every neighborhood. If the Bible is where God shows us, it's sufficient for everything that you face in your life and for every, every color of darkness in your isolation chamber. It's sufficient. So turn the light on. What is the Bible where God shows us? Where God shows us. Where God shows us. So if the Bible is where God shows up, watch what happens to you. Are you ready? All you have to do is what? Go there. All you have to do is go to the Bible. The Bible is like a moving train. And your mission in life is to get hit. Your mission in life is to step in front of the train over and over and over again. Get hit over and over and over again. That's your mission. That's your mission personally. That's your mission in your marriage. That's your mission in parenting. That's your mission for work. That's your mission. The most powerful thing you can do in your life is get hit. Step in front of the Bible. So get hit. Go to the Bible. Go, go where God shows up for you. And there's light. And life. In wide open places. This means, this is so important, y'all. This means that when you go to the Bible, the Bible isn't just telling you about God's love. Do you get this? The Bible isn't just telling you about God's love. God is loving you in the Bible. You go to the Bible not just to hear about him and who he is and his love. You go to the Bible because he loves you in the Bible. The Bible's not just telling you about his grace and his mercy and his strength and his kindness and his gentleness and his lowliness and the way that he moves towards you. It doesn't tell you about the richness of his mercy and the wonders of his being and the power of his work. The Bible actually graces you. 
doesn't tell you about his strength, it strengthens you. Doesn't tell you about his comfort, it comforts you. Doesn't tell you about his forgiveness, he forgives you in the Bible. Doesn't tell you just about his righteousness and all that he's done for you, he does it for you in the Bible. The Bible doesn't just tell you about who he is, the Bible actually makes him clear to your mind and real to your heart. The Bible doesn't just tell you that he's with you and for you. The Bible actually, he shows up. He's with me. He's for me. He's just not the rock of all ages. He's the rock. He's my rock. In the Bible. This changes everything. Lastly, if the Bible is where God shows up, watch what happens to the church. Church becomes about experiencing God with the Bible and helping others experience God with the Bible. That would shorten many a mission statement. That would shorten and simplify many a ministry. And many what community is about. So you don't have to have any more 4 a.m. spiritual discipline boot camps to experience God. Experience God with the Bible. You don't have to have these special anointed people to experience God. Experience God with the Bible. You don't have to have these crazy, weird, just plain stupid experiences. Experience God with the Bible. You don't have to find the right church tradition and the right church teaching and the right church practices. In all of church history, experience God with the Bible. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It's they that bear witness about me. Jesus is saying to you right now in Luke, right now in that passage, what he's saying to you, he's, like, he's saying to you right now, experience me in the Bible. Experience me, experience my salvation in the Bible. Do you want to experience me? Typically, most Christians at least will formally say we have some sort of interest in that. So where are you going to go? The special anointed individual? The 4 a.m. boot camp of spiritual discipline? The church tradition? Jesus says, come to me in the Bible. Experience me in the Bible. Don't go to Jupiter and Elm. I'm right here. Come here. Come to me. On the cross, Jesus actually breaks into the ultimate isolation chamber, right? You know what that means? If he broke in on the cross, if he went into the total sensory deprivation of sin, death, condemnation, the wrath, the judgment of God. If he went in there, and he's the one, we know he went there because on the cross, he actually says it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I am all alone. Except for the dark powers. 
except for the wretchedness of this, the sin and the, the realm of the dead and the complete disintegration of darkness, wrath and judgment, and falling to pieces, one piece after another and still having another piece. And what that means because he went there, that he's already there in your isolation chamber, wherever you're at. He's like, this doesn't scare me, I already beat it. And this is why the psalmist is so interesting. David says, I, I couldn't, I could, how can you say that? And I realized, oh, he's saying this about Jesus. Jesus kind of imposed himself into this statement. It says this. God is speaking, and he says, the light, the darkness, the darkness is light to me. In the Bible, Jesus shines on the page and goes into your isolation chamber because he's already there. He already beat it. He already conquered it. He already crushed it. So go to the Bible. Step in front of the Bible. Get hit by the Bible. The Bible is where God shows up.